and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. My name is Jay, uh, Jumpin' Jay, and we're heading back into the 4th of July weekend with the real American, Tommy Fierro. Tommy, how are you doing? Well, let me tell you something, brother. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, man. We are heading in to Independence Day here in the U.S. of A., so we're going to be talking about a very fitting theme for this weekend. But first, talking about weekends, you just came off a very busy weekend, chock full of signings, both physically at your store, a fantastic Monday night virtual this past Monday. Update us, man. How was your weekend? Oh, thanks, man. It was, it was very, very busy. We had uh, Bushwhacker Luke and Barry Windham uh, doing an in-store appearance last Saturday. And then last Sunday, we had One Man Gang and uh, Tugboat do an appearance. Now, One Man Gang is someone that hasn't been around in a few years, and collectors have been waiting for him. So we got a, we got a, a pretty big turnout for that one, Jay. Uh, I, I know I sent you a picture before we went on the air. Uh, the, the line was actually wrapped, starting to wrap around the store, like around the building to get in there. So it was... Really cool to see that because you know we've only been open three months. We opened on St. Patrick's Day, and to you know, you know, have people lined outside waiting to get in after only being open a couple months uh, made me feel really, really good. There's definitely a buzz in the air around the wrestling collector and the things you do because, for one, you offer merchandise that you just can't find at another store. You're not going to walk in to another store and find the type of memorabilia that you have. And two, you're not just a store. You're a destination because you have these signings. You have guys like the one man gang physically in your store that people can come see. And I saw a video you posted on social media. The one man gang can still cut a mean promo. Is he cut one for the wrestling collector? What was he like in real life? When he walks in, is he still larger than life? Like what's your immediate impression of seeing this man? Well, both of them are larger than life. Him and him and Fred Ottman. They're they're gigantic men in person, but uh, both of them super super nice. I've, I've I've actually had Fred on one of my conventions in the past, and he's just such a nice guy. And he's an avid collector as well, so he loved the store and actually sent them home with a couple of goodies as well. Um, he he loved the store, and One Man Gang was a super super nice guy. He actually drove up from Louisiana, and he was with his wife because he had done a couple other uh, events up this way that week last weekend. So his wife was with him as well. She was super friendly, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great turnout, man. He took his time with every guest. He uh, he his you should see his signature, Jay. I'm gonna obviously I'm gonna send you one. Uh, in the mail, uh, his signature is just fantastic. It's so like big and neat and clean looking. You know, so, some some of these wrestlers nowadays just scribble, you know, two letters of their name, especially you know, some of the WWE talent. But uh, he, his signature is fantastic. He took his time. He was talking to the fans as as was Fred. And then uh, Monday, this past Monday, we had a Monday Night Virtual with Val Venus, which. Did really well, uh, a little bit better than I expected. Uh, a lot of people came out for Val, and he, he was fantastic. I know that you watched it, Jay. He was fantastic. The stories that he told, and uh, he was very, very, very interactive with the fans. 
Uh, he was totally, totally, totally just talking about wrestling, which made it even better. Uh, what did you think of that virtual signing on Monday? I was beyond impressed with, with Val. Very personable, very nice, would answer every question thrown his way, shared stories um, involving wrestlers, you know, behind the scenes type stuff. Um, so I was enjoying it from beginning to end. And then towards the end, he let loose into like a freestyle rap, which was way too good for, for Val Venus to be rapping. And so that just blew my mind when he started rapping. And it was actually very entertaining and very well done. Uh, I don't know if he planned that. I don't know if he does that often or if that was a spur of the moment thing. But if you haven't seen this signing, that's worth watching it just, just for that moment. <laughs> yeah, we have we have a few weeks off now. We're we're coming back on uh Monday, July the twenty sixth. We are gonna have Dean Malenko doing a, a virtual signing, which should be really, really good. Originally we were supposed to have Tyrus scheduled for uh July fifth, but he had to postpone the appearance uh due to a movie that he's filming, so hopefully we can uh reschedule with him. But anyone that pre-ordered for Tyrus. I'm going to send you out an email later this week and can either get a refund or get credit for another signing or just wait to see if we have him back. But yeah, he was supposed to be July 5th, but he got booked for a movie and, and couldn't make it. So yeah, Dean Malenko will be the next one uh, on July 26th, which is good, Jay, because I literally have a, sto- a store full of stuff I have to send out right now between the signing with Tugboat and, and Akeem, which we did let mail order for at the store and then uh, still you know, finishing up the head triggers one from last week and Val from this past Monday. There's just, just stuff all over the place. I'm happy I have off for a couple of weeks. I'm, uh, I need the time to catch up. So that's our next live, I mean, our next live virtual signing. Our next in-store signing we are going to have is at the Wrestling Collector in Stockholm, New Jersey. will be on Saturday, July 24th. We are going to have uh, – former WWE women wrestlers, uh, Summer Rae and Tennille Dashwood, who was formerly Emma in the WWE. They're both going to be there, along with Dan the Beast Severin, all on Saturday, July 24th from 2 to 5 p.m. And uh, we just booked yesterday, Greg the Hammer Valentine will be at the Wrestling Collector in Stockholm, New Jersey, on Saturday, August the 7th. And uh, I'll be posting more about that on our uh, social media pages. If you don't follow the store on social media, on Instagram, it is the Wrestling Collector Store. The Wrestling Collector Store. And on Facebook, it's the Wrestling Collector LLC. We post all our appearances and pictures of the store in there. So if uh, you want to follow the store, if you don't live in the area, you can can do so. But, yeah, that's that's the end of my my shameless plugs uh, for the weekend from last weekend. Nothing, nothing shameful about it, man. You were, you were busy, and what I like about it is you never stop. You never rest and say, well, that was great. You've already got other wrestlers scheduled, other appearances to be made. You're always moving forward. I love that about you, Tommy. Oh, you Jay, the, I've got to tell you, the, actually, the highlight of the weekend was probably I was the front page of the Sunday newspaper in, in New Jersey for, for me and my store. We had a front page story. So that, that was probably the highlight of, 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 so all that craziness, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you tie in a, a, a front page 
a newspaper article as well. So <laughs> it was it was nuts, man. It was awesome. It, it was a big weekend for you and for your store, and so I'm happy for you. Uh, we're all proud of you, man. And, and the paper is a nice thing right. because, one, it brings attention to what you're doing, but, two, m- moms and dads, they love seeing their kid's name in the paper. And so that's something that they can cut out and they can save and they can show to their friends. And so uh, that's kind of special for, for, yeah, the publicity, but it's also kind of special just as, as a person. You like to see that kind of stuff for your family. So congratulations, Tommy. You deserve the attention you're getting, man. Now, you mentioned that you've got table, this this pile of stuff that needs to be get sent out into the mail to these people from all these signings. And so people are going to be having great mailbox days coming up pretty soon. I got to tell you, Tommy, Jumpin' Jay had a, had a hell of a mailbox day yesterday. Do you know what oh, arrived really? in my what mailbox yesterday, Tommy? What, the, what did you get yesterday? Listen, my very first ever my very first edition, first time I ever laid eyes on it, much less hands on it, Tommy sent me my very first issue of Wrestling Eye magazine. I'm blown away, Tommy. I can't thank you enough. How awesome was it? Listen, man, it it came yesterday, so I haven't read anything, but I paged through it. First of all, you sent me an awesome cover, man. This has got the ultimate warrior on the cover of the Wrestling Eye. Like, that's, that's iconic right there. So I got, I got a, an issue from 1990. It's got the Ultimate Warrior standing on the second turnbuckle, looking just fierce as ever. I paged through it. It's got awesome full-color you know, posters in the center, uh, classic pictures of Brian Pillman, Roddy Piper. But there's an article. The centerfold is, is Axe from Demolition, by the way, just gorgeous. But the first article, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the first article that is I'm flipping my thumb through that I land on happens to be an article about Stan Hansen wrestling Hulk Hogan in Japan. And now I mentioned in last week's episode when we talked about magazines, one of the, the things that is just burnt into my mind is this issue that I saw where they were saying Stan Hansen could beat Hulk Hogan and it crushed my, my eight-year-old soul. And then you send me this Wrestling Guy magazine and it's got an article of Stan Hansen. <laughs> and it says, he's not scared of Hulkamania. It says there right on the cover and I love it. Tommy, I can't thank you enough, man. I cannot wait to read this. You also sent me an awesome issue of Wrestling All-Stars with Superfly Jimmy Snuka, your uh, WrestleMania watching buddy right there on the cover. It's got Lex Luger talking about bringing Flair to his knees. And then you sent me this iconic D-Generation X WWF Raw magazine cover from 1999. Tommy, what a mailbox day, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. That's part of the uh, Pro Wrestling Magazine Club that we offer now on our website, thewrestlingcollector.com. We will mail you out uh, monthly subscriptions from old magazines from the 80s and early 90s. And uh, you can just try it for one month. You don't have to subscribe for the whole year. And if you you try it for a month and you like it, then you subscribe to it. Uh, But uh, we have over 3,000, probably close to 3,500 magazines at the store right now. So... Uh, we need to do something with them, so why not do a pro wrestling magazine club? And uh, you can get some of those iconic covers and stories mailed directly to your house each and every week. Uh, again, go to thewrestlingcollector.com now, and you can find out how you can be a part of the pro wrestling magazine club. And if you're thinking about it, I would say stop thinking and start doing because the minute you get one of these in your hands, Tommy, you're transported back to your childhood. Like just flipping through the pages, 
and you remember things that you forgot about. And so when you when you page through it and you see pictures of not only wrestlers, but you see some of the the just the ads for different merchandise being sold, and you go, oh man, I remember looking at that ad when I was right. much younger in life. It just brings you back to that moment. So thank you for this time machine gift, Tommy. And I would highly recommend if anyone's thinking about it, stop thinking, start doing, because it'll definitely be a good way uh, to spend your money to revisit some of your childhood. Just goes to show you I'm a man of my word, because on last week's episode, I told Jay, I couldn't believe he never heard of the Wrestling Eye magazine and that I was going to send him one. Now, this was last Thursday. We taped this on Thursdays. So it's a week later. He's in Minnesota, which is four or five days away mail-wise which means I got it right out in the mail team for you to have it for the next week's episode. This is unbelievable. So if there's ever a time where you're talking to me during today's show and I don't respond right away, it's because I'm lost in the pages of the wrestling eye. <laughs> so Tommy, here yeah. in the good old US of A, we're heading in to the 4th of July weekend, which is our celebration of our Independence Day. It's a, it's a big time for celebration here in, in America. And so we thought, what better way to uh, commemorate the 4th of July than talking about some of the most patriotic wrestlers of the golden age of wrestling, the 1980s. Now, growing up in the, in the 80s and early 90s, we had a ton of wrestlers who loved their country, whether they were standing up for old glory, the red, white, and blue, or maybe they were representing a foreign nation. Either way, we had some of the most patriotic wrestlers that the industry has ever seen. And so if it's okay with you, I'd like to just spend the next few minutes talking about our favorite patriotic wrestlers, gimmicks, storylines from the golden era of wrestling. How does that sound to you, Tommy? Fantastic. All right. So I got to ask when you think, because I just hit you with this topic a few seconds before we hit the air today. So you haven't had a lot of time to think about it. But when I say the most patriotic wrestlers of the 1980s, it might not be the biggest or the best. I just want to know what's the first, who's the first wrestler that pops into your mind, Tommy? Well, I mean, the obvious choices are ones that we're going to talk about, obviously Hulk Hogan and, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sergeant Slaughter, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. But the first thing that I think of when I hear patriotic with wrestling in the 4th of July, it, was, it didn't happen in the, in the 80s. It happened in the early 90s. And that's when Lex Luger showed up to body slam Yokozuna on the USS Intrepid on the 4th of July. He came off the helicopter, and, and, and I just, you know, I'm sure – any wrestling fan vividly remembers that. Like I said, it wasn't in the it wasn't in the eighties, but the fact that it was the early nineties and it did happen actually on the fourth of July, uh, I think that's probably one of the first things that I think of. Uh, I, besides Hogan, you know, waving his flag and and starting slaughter and Duggan and all and all the obvious choices and answers, I think of that moment. I think that that was a big moment if you look back on it now. Yeah, granted, you know, Lex Luger, you know, his, his run as, as the top babyface and doing the US, uh, U.S. Express and all that stuff, it, it didn't pan out like they, uh, in, you know, originally envisioned that it would. But if you look back at that moment, if you go back and watch that footage, 
and see how excited the people were when Lex Luger came off that airplane and Lex Luger body slammed him. Just the fact that where it was at and that it was on the 4th of July, I don't know, man. I look back on that, and I think, I think that's a big, big moment. And I think that's probably what I think of first when I hear uh, the most patriotic wrestlers because we're celebrating the 4th of July. I agree with you. That is one of the first images that pops into your brain. So let's talk about that for a minute. You did a nice job uh, recapping what took place. It was the Yokozuna Body Slam Challenge. And up to this point in his WWF career, Lex Luger was a bad guy. He was a heel. He was a narcissist. And then this is their big push to turn him into the next Hulk Hogan. And so they set the stage. They're having this Yokozuna body slam challenge. It's held on the 4th of July. It's held on a United States uh, naval vessel. And people are trying and they're failing. And at this time, you got to remember, Yokozuna is huge. I couldn't tell you exactly what his weight it was during this event, but I'm going to say upwards of 500 pounds. The man was big. And so they had lots of big guys try to slam him. I believe Crush tried to slam him. I think Macho Man tried to slam him. And then that helicopter lands. You're not quite sure who it is and outsteps the total package, Lex Luger. And he is covered from head to toe in red, white, and blue. And so instantly, like that's just the way we're wired as wrestling fans. Instantly, instead of booing the guy, we get behind him and we cheer for him. And he's able to slam Yokozuna. And he's off and running then at that point. Like, what a great way to turn someone from a hated heel to a to a to a baby face, right, Tommy? I, yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Jen. And I will say, you know, the experiment didn't pan out obviously the way they wanted to, but you can't fault WWF on that because I mean they set the stage absolutely perfect for him here because I mean it's the most patriotic day of the year. And you have this mean, big 500-pound heel. And, you know, you have these, you know, baby faces trying to slam them, and they can't. And then the helicopter comes. Like you said, who's in the helicopter? You're looking up in the air. And out comes Lex Luger dressed up in red, white, and blue. Uh, you know, like you said, he was the heel, but now he's defending our country. Slams Yokozuna on the 4th of July, and everyone – that was there was extremely happy. So they set the stage perfectly. You, you couldn't book that better. So I have to have to give credit to WWF for at least, you know, giving him the right story, giving him the right introduction into that top spot. You know, it didn't, it didn't work out obviously the way they wanted to, or probably the way Lex wanted it to, but uh, you, you can't fault WWF for that because in my opinion, they, they set the stage perfectly for him to get over at that point. Exactly. And if we're talking about patriotic wrestlers, patriotic gimmicks, patriotic moments, that is an iconic patriotic moment. That was a feel good moment. Uh, if you were a fan of the red, white, and blue, that was an iconic patriotic moment. I couldn't agree more with you, Tommy. Let's transition from a moment to maybe a wrestler, somebody who represented the, the United States of America in their gimmick, in their, in their wrestling portrayal. Is there anybody to you? I mean, I, there's many of them, but, but who's one that jumps into your mind as being someone who every time they're in the ring, they're representing the stars and the stripes. 
I mean, you have to obviously look at Sergeant Slaughter. I mean, that was his character, and 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 that's what made him so popular. And and he went to be a part of GI Joe as well. So he's not only a a pro wrestling star; he's a household name. Uh, he's someone that if he was at a Comic Con in 2021, and you weren't a wrestling fan, you know who Sergeant Slaughter is. He's iconic. So guys like that always do extremely well in situations like that. And, and and that has you know that has to be part due to the character that he portrayed, which was that you know American uh, character, which made him amazing heel, because he, you know, everyone was used to him being part of of you know America, the red, white, and blue, and then he he turns on his country and goes with <laughs> a different country, which made him such an unbelievable heel. Uh, and I was going to say earlier, you, you need to have those villains from different countries to get behind the good guys defending your country. So as important as Sergeant Slaughter was, as important as Hulk Hogan was, and as important as Hacksaw Jim Duggan was, you know, to play those characters of portraying, you know, the United States of America, you needed that Iron Cheek. You needed that Nikolai Volkov. You needed that Sergeant Slaughter as the heel to, you know, to tell a story. And, and back then, man, that's what was so great about wrestling back then, because something so simple as America versus Russia uh, in a storyline with two wrestlers would get over, or someone, you know, spinning on the flag, or or just something, anything to do to put down someone's country, uh, it would, would automatically turn into a must-see match, and, and fans would get behind it. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, something so simple like that was so important back then. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's, I don't know if you could get away with that kind of storytelling no, nowadays and then people would be a little too sensitive to some of that, but that was the recipe, you know, being a patriotic person, we, we view that as being patriotic to the, to the United States because that's where we're from. But you had people who were patriotic to their native country. You had, like you said, the iron sheik who had pride for his native Iran and he was representing them. Sergeant Slaughter was representing us and it made the battle between two men feel larger. It felt like two worlds, two countries colliding. And so that's what drew your attention in. And what I love about what you said about Sergeant Slaughter is the fact that he was so over the top patriotic that you associated him so closely to being that United States, sergeant that soldier that fought for the red white and blue that's what made his heel turn that much more heated is because he was known so much for loving the country that when he turned his back on the country people lost their mind they couldn't believe it and so you couldn't have had that much heel heat if it wasn't that big of a baby face for the country you know the only thing i wish tommy is i wish i knew what sergeant slaughter was up to these days i mean is he making any appearances at all <laughs> I, I guess it's enter a, it's a, shameless plug here. Yeah, that's perfect, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Actually, Sergeant Slaughter is uh, making an appearance, Jay. He will be at the return of my ISPW wrestling show on Labor Day weekend in New Jersey. He will be signing autographs and doing a special meet and greet with the fans prior to the show. It's going to be on Sunday. September the 5th. It's going to be in Butler, New Jersey at Memorial Field. He will be uh, signing autographs during the pre-show from 2 to 4 p.m. 
and tickets, shamelessly plugged, will be available at 80swrestlingcon.com. But come on, we, we can't we can't not mention the show that Sergeant Slaughter's going to be at when we're talking about Sergeant Slaughter. So, I mean, come on. Exactly. And like you said, Sergeant Slaughter is one of those guys who is a household name, whether you were watching the product or not. And so Absolutely. he's someone that, and I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him. He's just a super nice guy. He's somebody that, he's just part of pop culture. And so there's going to be a lot of people yeah. that are interested in seeing him. And so that's fantastic that he's going to be at your first ISPW show, man. And it's, and it's, and it's Labor Day weekend. It's perfect. You know, it can't get much more patriotic than that. Tommy, always the promoter thinking about <laughs> stuff like that. I love it. Was that your, was that your Duggan? It was better than my Bushwhacker Luke. Listen, what did did you do the Bushwhacker Luke impression for Luke when he was at your store? <laughs> no, I didn't, but he, he cut a promo for the store though. I'll post it on our uh our Instagram page for the store this week. So you can there hear you him. Voice. I would love you know, I probably won't I'll close my eyes and I probably won't be able to tell if it's you or if it's him. And so I'm looking Absolutely. forward to that. But you did you just did the trademark ho of Hackside Jim Duggan, one of the all time patriotic wrestlers. I was a huge Duggan fan as a kid, man. He's one of these guys who I'm just going to ask you because I love doing this to you. Overrated, underrated, where's Duggan? Uh, I don't want to say he's underrated because he, he gets – I think that people look at him as one of the big stars from that era. So, And if he, they don't – He's then, properly rated in the eyes of Tommy Fierro? I, I think so. I, I think that I think that people know he was one of – you know, the, the top big baby faces from that era. I, I think that he gets the recognition and, and the respect that he deserves. I, 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 at least I, I feel like he does. He, I think everyone knows he was a big player back then, a real big player. I love that you gave him a properly rated score. You, you, that shows that you're honest. That shows you that you're not just going to push everybody and say that everyone's underrated. You're saying Hacksaw Jim Duggan properly rated. Now, I will tell you this. In my childhood, as I'm watching the product, the fact that Duggan never really broke out of mid-card status kind of bothered me because I liked him. I wanted to see him get get a push. Do you think that, given the right storyline, he could have moved up in the card? Well, first of all, I, I just pressed uh, the pound key for the third time in the episode, and I apologize about that. I'm, I'm doing this on my laptop, and my uh, fat finger keeps hitting the computer uh, by accident. So I apologize. I'll make sure that doesn't happen again. <laughs> I just don't want you to take Kiefer when I'm the one that's doing it. Um, you know what, man? He, I wouldn't say he was just – he didn't get out of the mid-cars because you got to remember he did, that, he did that program with Andre the Giant where he knocked Andre the Giant down with that two-by-four. I mean, that's way, 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 way more than a mid-card storyline there. When you're in there with Andre the Giant, who just a couple of years previous was headlining a show in front of 93,000 people against Hulk Hogan. I, I think that's far more than the mid card in, in my mind. And also remember Jay, a lot of times, you know, these B, these B shows, you know, you'd have Hogan on top or Savage on top and these A shows, and then you do a different town. There was a lot of times where Duggan was the main event of those B shows. I, I remember a few of them where, where he was. So I don't, I don't, I think that he was definitely I think he was definitely more, even though he was never a champion, uh, I think he was one of the top baby faces in the company at that time. And I think that he was 
definitely one of the top five or six players in the company at the time. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say I'm gonna disagree with you on that. I'm gonna say that I think that he did get a, he had a great run. I'm not saying he didn't have a great run. And I and I will say your point about DeAndre the Giant, that's a very good point. And he did win the nineteen eighty eight Royal Rumble. And so he did have his moments. I just And, and he was he was King Duggan too. And he was King Duggan. So like he had his spots. Like he shined when he when he needed to shine. I just was such a fan of him. I was hoping that maybe he'd get a little bit of bigger run, maybe with a title at some point. But he's he probably one of these guys who you hear about that doesn't need a championship title to kind of cement his spot. Uh, and you're saying you feel like his spot was a, was a great spot for him. I, I, I love Duggan. I'm a huge Duggan spot. fan. I, I think that you wanted – I think you were such a big Duggan fan that I think that you would had preferred to see Duggan and, and Andre at WrestleMania three at the Pontiac Silverdome. Listen, I'm going to be very honest with you. One of the reasons I love Duggan is because his Hasbro action figure came with that two by four. I'm a big, I, I love, you know, add-ons. I love the little the things that come with a figure. And so I think that two by four in my young mind moved him up a notch. It did. I'll admit it. <laughs> yeah, you moved him up a notch from being King Duggan to, you know, the world heavyweight champion defending the title at WrestleMania three against Andre the Giant, Jim Duggan. Listen, man, there are some wrestlers that need over-the-top gimmicks to get themselves over. Duggan just needed five minutes at your local hardware store, and he had what he needed. Come on, Like, you got to love the simplicity of that. Say it with me, brother. USA! USA! Come on, Jay. USA! USA! Listen, he would get that chant going, and everybody in the arena would be chatting. You just can't hate your, on Duggan. Just do not let your boys, the Bolsheviks, hear you chant that down that way. Let's listen. If you want to talk about people that loved their country and supported their country, let's talk about them. Let's talk about Nikolai Volkov. Like he was patriotic to Mother Russia, like more than some of our patriotic guys were. So what's I know you love great heels and you can rag on the Bolsheviks for main eventing here in uh, small town, Minnesota. But when it came to wrestling heels, they had some heat. Oh, absolutely. But I'd, I'd rather talk about Nikolai and Iron Sheik who at that time together during that time frame were, I mean, wow. Talk about doing an unbelievable job playing the characters of their countries. You know, they were the heels at that time and, you know, they were, there were cartoons in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. You know, they had the action, the LJN action figures. I mean, they were they were full fledged into that push for you know pop culture during that time frame. And them guys at the Hills, and you know, even the first WrestleMania, they're against the U.S. Express. So you can also throw in there being patriotic characters, Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham coming out with those USA jackets, playing that tag team. But uh, Sheik and Volkov, man, they were just. Awesome, uh, awesome, awesome, awesome heels, uh, you know, supporting their countries back in that time frame. Like I said, you need you need guys like that to, to make people care about your Sergeant Slaughters and your Hulk Hogan's, your Corporal Kirshner's, people that are representing your country. You, you need the, you know, ag- you need that heel on the other side, you know, supporting their country. And those guys were the, the best at doing it, definitely. 
it's very commonly said that the birth of Hulkamania might not have got off to such a rocket start if it wasn't the fact that he beat the Iron Sheik for that first title. And so you're right. You have to have those hated heels. And anytime you can play country against another country, it feels larger than life. It feels more than just the two guys in the ring. And so you needed somebody like the Iron Sheik. And he's still part of pop culture. He's still making, you know, headlines on social media and stuff. Yeah, he's, if you're talking about patriotic, you got to mention the Iron Sheik because he was very prideful for Iran and he was very known for being anti-American, but yet he helped launch the career of the real American Hulk Hogan. And so, yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, you talk about America, representing America and being patriotic. The American dream, Dusty Rhodes. You talk about Americana, that's Americana right there. Listen, man, he's all about the American dream. He's all about being the son of a plumber. He's all about going from nothing to something and making something of yourself through hard work. Um, Huge. I mean, anybody who loves the world of professional wrestling has to love the career of Dusty Rhodes. Oh, I would like to get your input since you are the uh, the encyclopedia of everything wrestling. I will admit <laughs> my very first intro into Dusty Rhodes was the polka dotted version on the WWF television program. It wasn't until I got outside of that that I was able to discover the glorious career that happened before that and kind of what he meant to the whole industry. But I'd love to know your take on that polka dotted version of Dusty Rhodes. I loved it as a kid. And then you grow up and you read some stuff and you find out that maybe it was a rib on him. What's kind of your take on that period in his career? Well, first of all, it wasn't a rib on him. And if it was, which I don't believe it was, I think that the rib wound up being on them because he went and got it over tremendously. Uh, I don't think it was a rib. I just think they wanted to present him in a different Life and he did all his previous years in the NWA as you know this wrestler that would you know be in steel cage matches and be bloody and gruesome and you know I just I think they were just trying to look for a different version of you know Dusty Rhodes for their audience and for their programming and of course the polka dots and the dancing and all that is silly for a wrestler that was a several time world champion in another promotion but the same token. He's so over with the audience that he can get anything over, and, and he did get that over. And I think that was probably their line of thinking uh, when 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 they originally you know had Dusty come in is that they probably thought he can get anything over, so let's have some fun with him. Let's 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 put our coat of paint on him, so you know our audience will look at him as a star because you know. I know that Dusty was a gigantic, gigantic wrestling star in the 80s, and I know that, you know, people from all around the world knew who he was, but there were probably many, many WWF fans at the time that got their first introduction from Dusty by seeing the vignettes he was cutting prior to entering the promotion because a lot of people didn't watch NWA or didn't have access to watch NWA and that they might have only found them out about it if they went to their newsstand to get the magazines and we talked about that last week on uh, the podcast if we didn't have an opportunity to listen to last week's 
We talk about how important wrestling magazines were in the 80s. But if, if, if they didn't have that, they might have not, like you said, Jay, your first introduction was seeing the vignette. So what, let me ask you, what did you think as a kid, as a fan, you don't know who Dusty Rhodes is yet, but you see this man come on your screen and start talking to you, you have to have been glued to the set. Oh, absolutely. Because the thing about Dusty, like you said, he could get anything over. The man is walking charisma. And so the way he talked, the promos he cut, the way he carried himself, the way he moved, like your eyes were glued to it, even though I didn't know at the time who he was. I didn't know his backstory. I didn't know the amazing career that he already had, the championships he already won. But the presentation of him on your screen is, yeah, you're glued to the set because talking like every other wrestler in the World Wrestling Federation at the time, he's not moving like other wrestlers. And then as a kid, you know, you take the presentation, whatever they give you, you kind of take as, as it. So I didn't even question the polka dots. I said, oh, all right, he's wearing polka dots. It's a colorful outfit. It fits his kind of his charisma and, and the way he's talking and, and the things he's saying. And so to me, the package was great. And I loved it as a kid. And then, you know, he goes on to have some tremendous feuds at that time with, you know, Macho Man and, and others and um, Million Dollar Man and things like that. And, and so as a kid, you're eating it up and you're buying it. And then when you get older and you discover those magazines or, or you find some tapes of some of his old stuff, it kind of gives you a different appreciation for his career and his in-work ability. But at the time, I, I loved the Dusty Rhodes characters that was presented to me. And Sapphire with him was such a great, great added touch. It gave him an extra coat of paint. And again, I, I, I don't think it was a rib. I think that they just probably thought that he can get anything over, so let's have some fun. And he did get it over, and he got over big. And, and that song, too, man, just the common man. I still sing, I'm sure everyone still sings that song to this day. So if you look back at it, he, he did not have the run in the WWF that he did in NWA, obviously, but you cannot say it wasn't a super successful run because he made a lot of money. I'm sure he sold a lot of merchandise. I'm sure. Cause I remember the t-shirts. I remember the school folders. I remember the, you know, the notebooks. I remember the figures. So there at the poster. There's a lot of dusty roads merchandise at that time. And I, I, I think that you, you asked my opinion of the, the character. I think it, in the WWF, I think it was a big success. You know, the nice thing about the WWF at that time is they go all out no matter what. It's so like you said, they had the perfect song to go with him. They gave him plenty of on-air time, which allowed him to get himself over. They backed him with the merchandise, the shirts, the folders, the figures. And so... Yeah, the whole question of was it a rib or not, even if it was, the fact that they pushed him and gave him such an opportunity and that he was able to get it over, at that point, if it is a rib, who's the rib really on? Because it, it is working. Exactly. All right, we're going to move on to some more patriotic wrestlers. We're going to switch gear from the American dream, and I want to talk to you about maybe the most famous Canadian athlete ever, maybe the at least in the world of professional wrestling. Um, during his run in the 80s and early 90s, it wasn't really pushed that he was this Canadian superstar. They used it uh, in some angles in the later 90s, but I'm talking about uh, Brett the Hitman Hart. 
obviously Canadian born, obviously proud of being from Canada. They didn't hide the fact he was from Canada. Um, they didn't make him dress in, you know, white and red, like the Canadian flag, but he's definitely from Canada represented them. Well, one of the greatest performers of all time, in my opinion, uh, what's your thought as far as if we're talking patriotic and we're talking about representing a country, does Bret Hart make your list, Tommy? Oh, big time. I actually love my favorite version of Bret Hart was probably the 97 uh, version of Bret Hart when he was a heel with the Hart Foundation where you would go to his country and he was a baby face, but he came to America and he was a hated heel. That was, I think, his best work during that time frame, the promos he was cutting and it was just it was just a fantastic angle, and he did a fantastic job uh, leading leading that you know faction during that time frame. It was, that was, in my opinion, some of his best stuff, if not his best stuff, was him as a heel, as as the leader of the Hart Foundation. I the, one of the things I love about Bret Hart, and it's one of the same things I love about Shawn Michaels. It's the first time you get to know them and you fall in love with their character. Is they're part of a tag team. And then to see somebody who's in a well-known tag team go out on their own and have an unbelievable singles run is so fun to watch as a fan. They go from being a tag team to they're on their own. Then they win the Intercontinental Championship, which is like the working man's, you know, Val Venus did a beautiful job explaining what that title means to the boys in the locker room. And so when you can go from a tag team to winning the Intercontinental title and having a run with that, and then getting your turn with the big championship, the world title. It's fun to watch that career progression. And we were spoiled because we got to see it with Hitman and we got to see it with the Heartbreak Kid. I love the Hitman. I think his career in the 90s, some people rag on that the business was down in the 90s. And some people say it's because Brett Hitman Hart was a champion. I think the wrestling business goes in spurts it has highs it has lows it levels out and i think we came off of a huge 80s run and so then in the 90s early 90s it kind of plateaued and then it went spiked again with the uh you know the monday night raw and, and nitro war and so i don't think it's a anything to do with the hitman having the title in that early 90s i think it was just the where the business was and so i thought his whole run was enjoyable and you're right when they didn't kind of know what to do with him and when being the bad guy kind of started to be cool, but he was getting great ovations in Canada and overseas, the fact that they tried to do a, you're a heel here and a face here, never been done before. And so, and I think he was the guy that, yeah, you could pull that off because he was over like Rover in Canada and overseas. And so if you want to get him cheered in one area and booed in another, he was the guy to go with. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, like I said, during that time frame, uh, him, it was so unique. You know, he was just so over, he was like, you know, Elvis in, in Canada, you know, he was, and then you see him on there. And then like that one pay-per-view uh, where it was five on five and, and those guys, they were in Canada and they were just so over as faces. And you seen Stone Cold and the LOD and these guys getting booed was just so weird because they were so over as baby faces on, on TV at the time, just so yeah, you talk about patriotic. I, I think of that angle. I know we're talking about the '80s. This is you know, late '90s, but still, you mentioned Brett, and uh, it, it just—it's a formula that always worked, even until you know almost the year 2000. You know, I wish—and this is a totally different subject for a totally different episode—and I mentioned it in the past. I wish that they can just 
copy what you did in the 80s. Or you can, you can even copy what you did in the, the mid, uh, the late 90s, early 2000s. That was, you know, I had wrestling on in the store all the time because I'm there. And I was even watching like an old, uh, like an old pay-per-view from like 2003. And it was just still so much better than, than today's stuff. I just wish that they can go back and just copy. They look at what was successful for them 20 years ago or 30 years ago and just copy it and, 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 and do it over and, and just put a little extra touch to it. I just, I just don't get it. And one of the things, the only reason I'm saying that is because just that storyline of, you know, the good guy versus bad guy country-wise, it just always, always worked uh, back then. And, and some of the most successful you know, storylines and some of the biggest drawing houses and gates during that time is because of uh, patriotic reasons, definitely. You're absolutely right, Tommy. You're absolutely right. And it's one of the reasons we love wrestling from that time frame because we just feel overall it was a more enjoyable product to watch than the stuff that is on the, the show today. Um, we got a couple minutes left. I got a couple more names I want to run by you. One of them is the brother-in-law to Brett the Hitman Hart. I'm talking about Davey Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, constantly representing uh, his homeland of England. I know you were a fan of the tag team, the Bulldogs. I know when you were a kid, you were always cheering for them and Matilda. And so you could, you could put the Dynamite Kid in this conversation as well, but I'd love to know, what is your overall thought on the career of Davey Boy Smith. Fantastic career. Uh, loved him as a tag team with the Dynamite Kid. And think, thought he did tremendous as a singles as well in the 90s as, as himself, the British Bulldog. Uh, he, you know, even during the later years of the 90s, like we just said, during that time frame with, you know, Brett and the Hart Foundation, uh, he, he was someone that was a perfect example of someone, you know, their, their, their gimmick is their, their country. Uh, so that I'm glad you actually brought him up, Jay, because I didn't have him on my list. I, not that I wasn't thinking of him, I just I just jotted down the first things that came to my head. But I'm glad you you mentioned him because talk about you know your whole character is based on your your country and what a fantastic character and career uh, he had. One of one of one of one of the best to do it. You know what I'm just. You might have to correct me if I'm wrong because this is just an idea that's popping into my head. But in this time area of wrestling, is he the only foreign representing wrestler, someone who is blatantly representing another country that is pushed as a heel or a baby face rather than a heel? Like, I'm, I'm going back to my action figure collection, and, I, and I'm seeing Nikolai Volkov. I'm seeing the Iron Sheik heels. But David Boy Smith was a face. Is he the first, like, foreign representing – Wrestler that's actually pushed as a big time baby face? Nah, and I, I don't, just making that up in my brain. You're just probably making it up in your brain, just like you made up you never saw the wrestling eye or heard of it before from last week's Listen, episode. I tried to find <laughs> the circulation of the wrestling eye online. I tried to Google like maybe it didn't even come to Minnesota. And so maybe Tommy can just, you know but I couldn't find where it was circulated. And so I don't know if it was in Minnesota or not. All I know is it wasn't at my local uh, milk store. Only, only Time Magazine and, and uh, TV Guide was at your local news store, right? 
you know, you're probably right. We probably didn't. We didn't have the selection that you spoiled for the New Jersey have with your 15 wrestling magazines. The other thing it might have been is maybe, maybe little J, Jumpin' J just didn't jump out of bed early enough. Maybe the wrestling eye was all sold out by the time I got there. And so I was out of luck. Could be, brother. I'd love to know what the circulation was because I don't think we had it here in Minnesota. I could be wrong. Well, I'll I'll, uh, I'll reach out to some of my people this week and let you know. I don't. They're probably not still in publication, so there's probably no number I could call. But you got to do some research for me and find out what you can find out. Meanwhile, I want to transition to the real American. I want to talk about Hulk Hogan's the part of his career where he fought, where he was American made and the real American, and he fought for the red, white, and blue. When you talk about patriotic wrestlers from this time period, you have to, have to, have to mention Hulk Hogan. And you brought him up a couple times in some, in some cool uh, moments with other heels from other countries. But let's talk about him. Let's talk about Hulk Hogan and his role as a patriot. I am a real American. That's all that needs to be said, man. That's all that needs to be said in your book, huh? That's all that needs to be said. If anyone disagrees that Hulk Hogan wasn't one of the, if not the most patriotic wrestler ever, uh, then you haven't seen the first several years of Hulk Hogan in the WWF because, you know, the red, white, and blue and the American flag was what he was all about. And uh, the content. How, how many times do you think Hulk Hogan's heard that song? Probably more than you've seen Wrestling Eye magazine, I bet. Do you, do, you, do you think it's at the point where when he hears it, he still gets pumped up and still ha- has to fight the urge to rip his shirt off? Or do you think he's like, oh, this thing again? It's probably, oh, this freaking song again. I don't know. I like to yeah, think that that's, not, that's so I like to iconic. think he wakes up every morning to that. I, I would love that if that was the case. Like, you know, his alarm goes off 5 o'clock. I am a... And like, he just slowly, like... Does the Undertaker up out of his bed, you know, and looks around both sides of the room. Exactly. And I like to think, you know, a lot of us at our house, we have we have hampers, and so we put our clothes in there, and then laundry day we wash them. I like to think Hogan has like a hamper for like his pants, but then he just has a a waste basket next to that for all his shirts. At the end of the day, he just rips it off, tosses it in the waste basket, and puts on a fresh <laughs> jeans. The, the that's pretty funny, right? I think that's what he should do. He's got, <laughs> he's, got a, funny. he's got a laundry basket and a waste basket. And that's how he goes about his day. Laundry day is just pants and socks for Hogan. I knew you, I knew you had a funny joke in you after twenty something episodes. <laughs> that's not a that's just how I envision his life. Well, that's and why it's just, funny. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, Hogan, early career, you're right. He's always representing the red, white, and blue. He's the all American. He's the real American. He fights for truth, justice, and the American way, just like Superman does. That's how that's how Hulkamania was born. It was the real American is how it started Absolutely. and then it transitioned into Hulkamania. And so he's got to be at the top of your list for patriotic wrestlers of this era. Oh, absolutely, man. He that's I'm I'm happy we saved him for last because, you know, if it wasn't for the red, white, and blue, you know, that that was remember he was remember his first shirt was American made. You know, he was exactly. that was the first character. I mean, he was Man, he was a gigantic part of of all of our lives growing up. If we're, if we're listening to this right now, we're all wrestling fans, and 
he was the guy behind the old red, white, and blue back then. So, yeah, he definitely has to be at the top of the list. Definitely. Now, one of my favorite things about talking wrestling with you, Tommy, anytime we pick a topic, we go through a handful of wrestlers. And you, like you always say, you can never name them all. There's so many, you can never name them all. But you're really good at wrapping up with a few honorable mentions. I don't know if you have it today, but is there anybody on your list that we didn't say that you're like, we should at least throw their name out at the end of this conversation as being a patriotic wrestler from the 80s, the 90s. I mean, you could even, you know, you go up, obviously, you got Kurt Angle, you got more recent ones. But is there anybody who maybe we didn't mention that you think eh, at least deserves to say their name if it's on top of my brain right now? Oh, yeah, big time. You ready? I'm ready. Hit me with the, the, the ones we should have mentioned. I'm going to give you one. All right. Ranger Ross. Ranger Ross. Now, don't tell me you don't know who that is. I feel like that's a character that uh, Joey on Full House. While you're going on Google right now. I wow. Know, the first thing that popped in my head is an episode of Full House where that weird Uncle Joey played Two Ranger somebody or another. weeks in a row, we have seen... Uh, something forming here. Last week, you did not know what the Wrestling Guy magazine was. This week, you never heard of Ranger Ross. Jay, you really, really, really are a WWF guy, and that's it. Because the WWF fan would not know what Wrestling Guy magazine was, and the WWF fan would not know who Ranger Ross was from WCW slash NWA. You you are you are a real American for the WWF, brother. I, I've never hidden the fact that I was born and bred on the World Wrestling Federation, and I'm I listen. You, you gave me some homework. I'm gonna have to figure out who this Ranger Ross was. But if he didn't get called up to the show, how good could he have been? You'll have to go on YouTube and watch Ranger Ross when uh, we end this episode. I'm, listen, I'm gonna have to. Five foot ten, two thirty five, so not a giant. That maybe kept him out of the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, looks like he got his start down in Deep South. That's respectable. Part of the Jim Crockett promotion was in WCW. What years were you in WCW? While you're, while you're... Let's see here. I got it up here. WCW in February. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Eighty-nine to ninety-one. Eighty-nine to ninety-one. Looks like he clashed with the Great Muda. Had a Butch Reed. Had a little program with Sid Vicious. So I mean, he's got yeah, he's got some big matches. Was that the Great American Bash? I'll have to look it up. I'll have to watch me a little Ranger Robert Lee Ross Jr. That's right. Well, there you go. You gave me homework. I'm excited. There you go. Listen. The one guy that didn't get brought up that's on my honorable mention list is Del Wilkes, the Patriot. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you what, he was red, white, and blue to the core. And then uh, back in about 2000, 2001, I decided I needed to own a wrestling mask. And so off of eBay, I bought a Patriot uh, mask. Um, Don't really know why. I just got the the itch to own a wrestling mask, and that's the one I went with because it's an an iconic 
mask. That's good. I'll I'll I'll, I'll book you for my uh, Labor Day weekend show as the Patriots, since everybody else. There you is go. I'll, I'll I'll do a run-in in uh, some kind of match that you have under the hood. People will have no idea that it's not uh, a much smaller Dale Wilkes. So that guy was jacked. Yeah, he sure was. He sure he was. was. Well, listen, well, man. That's going to wrap up our conversation yeah, on man. patriotic wrestlers. If we missed anybody, we apologize. What? I know you got a little bit of time off here. It's the holiday. Then you're taking a break from some of your signings. But you always got something in the works. Anything you wanna wanna clue us in on? Always working, brother. Always uh always plotting something. I'll uh have some more information hopefully in the next couple of weeks from some other stuff I'm working on. Sounds good. You got any plans for the fourth? Gonna do some grilling? Gonna close up shop for the day? The shop will be closed this Sunday for the fourth of July. Every year we uh have a family barbecue at my parents' house and my uh in-laws come and my uncle comes and my best friend and his family comes. So it's always a nice 4th of July tradition, hot dogs, hamburgers, you know, the whole nine yards, brother. And this, this year will be extra special because people will have their copies of the New Jersey Herald and you'll be signing autographs uh, right there at the picnic table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be signing from, uh, from one to two, the 4th of July in my <laughs> mom and dad's backyard. Anyone that would like to come and get a signed copy of the newspaper. There you go. He'll sign it in ketchup or mustard. Your choice. Absolutely. All right, bro. Well, I hope you and your family have a nice holiday weekend. I hope everyone out there listening has a great 4th of July weekend with their loved ones. And uh, we'll catch you back here next week on 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Mm-hmm.